Um, if this is your first time, we're so glad that you're here this morning. Um, as men, we're coming together to study God's Word and to hear once again the truth that God loves us. Uh, he is for us. He is with us. Um, this semester, we're studying the Psalms where we learn what it is to be with God Himself and to love Him and to hear His love for us, to, to not just hear it, but to really um, to inhabit that love, to live it out in the daily disciplines of life. We have coffee, we have donuts, we have, we used to call them pigs in the blanket, but I think they're called kolaches here in Texas, so we have those two uh, this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Father, we do thank you for um, just the privilege of gathering together as men under your care, and certainly um, we even want to acknowledge this morning that there are men who are here uh, for different reasons in different places, and yet uh, you are Lord over all. And you attend to us as a shepherd tends to his sheep. And so, Father, we do pray that you would give us each what we need. For those who are struggling with unbelief, we pray, God, that you would give us faith. For those who are struggling with uh, lament, with sadness, Father, we, th- we pray that you would turn our tears uh, into tears of joy and gladness, that you would change our mourning into dancing. Father, for those who are struggling with confusion and other maladies of the soul, Lord, who are um, perhaps uh, a wandering in distress where you are, we pray, Father, that you would show up and that you would answer your people. Um, Lord, we love you, but we know that you've uh, first loved us. And so we pray that you would attend to us now in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, this morning, typically we read the Bible first um, and then kind of launch in, but, um, but what you have this morning on your handout is a selection of passages that I'm going to walk through at different times as we talk about the discipline of daily prayer. So this semester, we've just been talking about the different spiritual disciplines, the, the different activities that the Psalms sort of press us to do in order to be formed by the love of God. And this morning, we're going to talk about this idea of, of setting aside each day, sometime in each day time, to be with God. Uh, to pray to Him, to, um, uh, to listen to Him. Um, that time goes by different names. Some people, maybe you've heard it called a quiet time or um, daily devotions, uh, whatever it may be uh, in your own linguistic categories, your own language. Um, the idea throughout history is that it is remarkably important, very important to spend time with God, to set aside time in our days to spend with Him in prayer. I want to read something to you now by way of introduction this morning. This is from an authority on religion in America. And she writes this. From the beginning, two things have been the necessary form and mystery of Christian spirituality. Two things. Two things even before the closing events of the resurrection, the ascension, and the commission. Two things wove different and often renegade believers into an inspirited body of the whole. Two things that connected these different people to God and to one another. Gospel and shared meal on the one hand, and the discipline of fixed hour prayer, were and have remained the chain of golden connection tying Christian to Christ and Christian to Christian across history, across geography, and across idiosyncrasies of faith. Now, I just want to, that's a lot, to, it's wordy. I just want to reflect on it for a moment because I think what she's saying is pretty clarifying. She's saying this, that Christians across time, across culture, across space, that Christianity, the way that it's 
grown up can be fairly complex, right? You go to a church in Africa or a church in Asia, and you might have very different um, uh, musical styles. You might find in different traditions different doctrinal emphases, different emphases of belief, different rituals. And so what about the unity? What about the unity? What, what, what do Christians share in common? She says the two most universal, most unanimous, most binding practices of discipleship, that is, of following Jesus across traditions, so across the Orthodox tradition, the Catholic tradition, the Protestant tradition, across time, the early church, the medieval church, the modern church, across geography and ethnicity, Europe, Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and the West, that they come down to two things. One is gospel and shared meal. And that is shorthand for gathered formal Christian worship. And the second is fixed hour prayer, or what we're looking at today as uh, under the designation of daily prayer. Formal worship together, gathering for worship together, and daily prayer are the two things that have marked Christians throughout time and space. Men and women who, who are longing to know and to live before the face of Christ in their lives. The second is what I want us to think about together this morning, this ancient practice of making every, making every day, making time every day to adore and to address God in prayer. And there are three ways I want us to come, about this, uh, come at this this morning. The first is, and this sounds, I know this is going to sound really fun. I just want to give you the story of daily prayer and how it developed. So I want to give you a little history lesson, and I, th- I think it really will help you, okay? History at 6.30 in the morning does not sound awesome, I know, but I think it will help you. Second, I want us to look at why the Psalms, why the Psalms are vital to daily prayer, why the Psalms themselves are vital to becoming a man of prayer. And then finally, I want us to look at how to start. Where do we start? How do we begin? If we've already begun, then how do we move forward in the practice? All right? So the story, uh, um, why the Psalms are so important, and then finally, how do we put this into practice well? The story of how daily prayer developed. The story is important because I think a lot of us assume that praying daily is important, but we really don't know why we do it. And to get the story, you really have to go back to uh, the temple in the Old Testament. So the Jerusalem temple, the first temple, was built by who? Anybody know? It was built by Solomon in about the 10th century B.C. And the temple functioned in Jerusalem as the center of spiritual, spirituality or spiritual formation for God's people. From the earliest times, from the beginning when the temple was built, worship in the temple was daily worship. Now, to be sure that uh, uh, Sabbath worship on Saturdays was especially important, in seasonal worship, seasonal celebrations of the Passover, of, um, uh, of uh, Pentecost, of the tabernacles, were significant occasions too. But worship in the temple, in Solomon's temple, was an everyday affair. Every morning and every evening, there were sacrifices that were called the Tamid. And those sacrifices just burned. And they represented what was thought to be a continual sacrifice or continual worship before the throne of God. 
so that the Lord can say, for example, in Psalm 50, you'll, you'll read this in the Psalms sometime. In Psalm 50, God says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. That, that, that's an example of the Tamid. They're continually rising up before me morning and evening. Now, a part of the ritual, a part of the uh, um, uh, um, aspect of the ritual of sacrifice, perhaps the biggest part, was prayer. So much so that often the language of sacrifices, the language of the sacrifices, was applied to prayer. So I think you had this in your handout this morning. Look with me at uh, Psalm 141.2. I think you do. I'm not positive. There, David, look at what David says in Psalm 141.2. He says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. So incense, the burning of incense, was a part of the ritual of sacrifice. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as what? What does it say? The daily, yeah, the evening sacrifice. The evening sacrifice. Now this is important because when Jerusalem was eventually conquered by the Babylonians, in 586 BC, guess what was destroyed? The temple was destroyed. So the Jerusalem temple was no more, and all of God's people were carried off into Babylonian captivity. And, and, so, and so Jews had a problem. How was it that they were supposed to, that they were going to keep the sacrifices? How was it that they were supposed to continually offer themselves before God? Well, faithful Jews in the Babylonian captivity maintained the Tamid through the act of praying at fixed times. So if you look in the book of Daniel, we studied this you know, last semester, and that doesn't mean I expect you to remember anything, but if you look at the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, and you have this passage there as well, um, the book of Daniel says that three times a day, three times a day, at the regular hours of sacrifices, Daniel and other faithful Jews would go into the rooms, they would open their windows towards Jerusalem, and they would pray to God. This was the best equivalent for the Jewish people of the Tamid, the continual sacrifices offered before the throne of God. That's one root of daily prayer. The second comes from the book of Deuteronomy. This is the first passage you have in your sheet this morning. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Okay, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 is a passage in Scripture known as the Shema. All right, the Shema... The Shema was the first passage that a young Jewish boy or girl would memorize in terms of their own growth up into becoming sort of a a, a full appropriating member of God's people. This was their first profession of faith, right? The Shema says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, where have you heard that language before? Anywhere else do you think of that language? Jesus says it, yeah. So, yeah, Jesus was Jewish. I hope that doesn't surprise anyone this morning. But he would have learned this in the same way in the synagogue in his early training. All right, so he answers with the Shema, right? And these words, which I command you this day, shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. From the very early times, uh, uh, Jews, faithful Jews, took quite literally the admonition to recite the Shema and parts of the law when they lie down and when they rise. So every morning and every evening, the devout Jew would meditate on God's law and thus 
embody what we read here in Psalm 1. But on his law, excuse me, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. Now, one of the things that, that is just true of us this morning, and I, don't, I wonder if sometimes that reduces sort of the sanctity and um, the value we place on it, but, but they didn't have personal printed copies of the Bible. You get that, right? That wasn't even a reality until like four or 500 years ago. So, so memorization, like memorizing the scriptures was, was vital to their spiritual formation, to their devotion. So from the earliest times, daily prayer, the daily sacrifices also included a portion of meditating upon scripture that was memorized, dedicated to memorizing or inscribing the word of God on the people's heart. All right, you're still awake. Let's fast forward a little bit, move faster. New Testament times. In the New Testament, um, spirituality in the Jewish way became more formalized. The Council of Jambia in 110 AD, it was considered obligatory for a faithful Jew to, um, to, uh, uh, um, to maintain the daily prayers of both morning and evening. So Chad, what about for Christians? Think about that for a second. Okay, we, we sort of got the Jewish history, but did following Jesus for the earliest Christians, did it change the expectations associated with daily prayer that came from Jewish life? You know, it seems like it only deepened those expectations. I want you to listen to how Luke describes what the earliest followers of Christ were committed to doing in Acts 2. We've been reading this in worship as well. But look with me there on your, on, on your paper to Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. I just want to point something out to you this morning. Luke writes this, and this is the early church. This is what the early church was devoted to just after Pentecost. So what they considered most important to their discipleship. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and what? The prayers. Do you see that? It doesn't say prayer. It says the prayers. Because the the prayers meant the actual fixed hour prayers of Jewish spirituality. It wasn't just prayer in general. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Okay? But it was the prayers. It was the prayers they had grown up observing as part of their own history and own spiritual formation that had come from the temple sacrifices. So, for example, the very next chapter in in, in 3.1, you had this here in your your handout as well. In 3.1, Peter and John, the first miracle performed after Pentecost in the name of Jesus is when Peter and John are going up to the temple to do what? To pray at what time? At the ninth hour. So the hours of prayer started at 6 a.m. So we're kind of, you know, trying that here a little bit, getting up early to pray and to be together. 6 a.m. was hour one, which put 3 p.m. as hours nine, at hour nine. In Acts 10, when uh, Peter gets this grand vision of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God, he gets that vision in Acts 10 at the at sixth hour prayer, at noon prayer. He goes up to the, the rooftop where he is to pray and to be alone in prayer and that's where the vision comes from, uh, comes to him. That's what it happens. So even in the early church, um, um, you see that the disciples of Jesus are committed, are committed to, to forming their day around these periods, these times of prayer. We come to the epistles. After the Gospels and Acts, listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, 12. He tells us to rejoice in hope 
to be patient in tribulation. You don't have this on your handout. And then he says, be constant in prayer. Now, we've heard that before, but let me give you a new sort of a new way to think about it. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray without ceasing. 1 Timothy 5.5, he says about a mature woman that her hope is set on God as she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. When the Apostle Paul is instructing us to pray without ceasing, he doesn't have some general idea of prayer in mind that we would just, for example, be prayerful in mind and heart in general. He is talking about the concrete daily discipline of setting aside times for prayer. The discipline that is by this point now well established in the synagogues and in these newly formed churches. Now we can continue and do it quickly. The Didache, the first document that we have in early Christianity outside the New Testament in the first century, commends that disciples of Jesus would pray the Lord's Prayer three times every day. Hippolytus in the second century, the apostolic constitutions in the fourth century, both said that churches gathered early morning and evening for daily prayers. Benedict in the sixth century, when he began his movement, his monastic movement, he he formed Christian community and Christian labor and Christian work around praying regularly, fixed hour prayer. The, The reformers, uh, uh, Calvin, Luther, the, you know, you guys know enough about history to know that they're not, they were not scared of challenging the status quo, right? Um, they did not challenge this. So Luther, Calvin, Richard Baxter, the Puritan, Matthew Henry, the Presbyterian, all commended to their congregation this ideal of being before God daily in prayer. For all you like Presbyterian nerds out there, which are like two of you, I think, maybe, Right? If you look at our own book of common prayer, which, which is two, 300 years old, the very last chapter is about family devotions and daily prayer in the home. Okay, From the temple sacrifices to whatever you call it today, the quiet time, um, daily devotions, part of what it means to know Jesus, to get to know him if you don't know him well, part of what it means to walk with God is to set aside time every day to be with him in prayer. What I want to say this morning is that the Psalms were vital for that, all right? The Psalms were vital for that practice. And I just want you to notice in the selections that you had before, before you this morning, that all the selections have basically one thing in common. And I just chose like 10 of them. I mean, there's, there's probably 30 references of night and day, day and night in the Psalms, of praying night and day, day and night, or all the day in the Psalms. And that wasn't just pious talk. The the Psalms were the words that the people used to do the actual act of praying. The Psalms were the words that the people used to lament, to thank God, to adore God, and to ask him for help. So, for example, in the Benedictine monasteries, you know, from from about the mid-6th century, 500 A.D. or so, till now, have always recited all 150 Psalms every week. So if you're a Benedictine monk, your whole life is framed in terms of the Psalms. The Book of Common Prayer that Thomas Cranmer put together um, in the Reformation takes you through the Psalms every month, every 30 days, so that your own spiritual reading, your own spiritual life is influenced and informed by the Psalms. Before the printing press, the Psalter was likely the only piece of scripture that a lay person ever owned. It was the only thing that you owned. 
You had the Psalms to go home with you and the Psalms to wake up with in the morning and the Psalms to go to bed to at night. The Psalms are historically how God's people have learned to be with him, how to pray, how to love him, and be loved by him. And we would talk about it all semester. So why? Why is it that the Psalms have been at the center of daily prayer? Well, let me give you three reasons why the Psalms are so important for your prayer life this morning. And especially for daily prayer. Why the Psalms? Well, the first is this, and you can see it in the Psalms. But the Psalms are uniquely fit for the ups and downs of your life. The Psalms are uniquely fit for the ups and downs of daily life. You know, if we're honest this morning, we'd say that daily life is rarely smooth. It is rarely how we think we're going to meet it in the day. Daily life is surprises and disappointments. It's twists and turns. And so it is with the Psalms. One theologian puts it this way, and I think this is a very um, apt way to put it. She writes, In the Psalms, I find myself at my worst and at my best. In the Psalms, I find myself at my worst and my best. Here I can acclaim God, praise God with warmth and confidence and hope, but here I can also give vent to those black thoughts that might otherwise lie hidden in the dark and angry corners of my heart. In the Psalms, as in my own life, I find that God is close, but sometimes he's distant. Today, God seems mindful of me. Tomorrow, he may not visit me. Today, I am radiant. Tomorrow, I face darkness. Today, I enjoy life. Tomorrow, I feel the hand of death upon me. In the Psalms, we learn to pray at our best. We learn to pray at our worst. And we learn to pray on all the, in all the occasions in between in daily life. So the Psalms are uniquely fit for the ups and downs of your daily life that you'll go out and face even this morning. Number two, the Psalms will teach you how to pray spontaneously. Okay, The Psalms will teach us how to pray spontaneously. What do I mean by spontaneously? Spontaneous prayer is prayer that bubbles up from within us and that often comes very naturally. Spontaneous prayer is prayer that just flows. And as one person once said, spontaneous prayer tends to either come from uh, wonder or distress. Those are the two conditions that we find ourselves sort of ready to pray in, wonder or distress. Either wonder, being overwhelmed at the goodness and love and majesty and beauty of God or his gifts, or distressed, being overwhelmed by the fact that we're in a position to need him desperately, right? Wonder and distress. Now, how many of you would say most of your life is lived somewhere in between those places, right? I mean, most of us live in the middle situation. We don't live in either a state of wonder or distress. And so how do you pray that way? How do you pray spontaneously in the middle of situation with sincerity? When you are neither at the bottom of the ocean nor at the top of the peak, when you just wake up and you feel, meh, okay. That's where the Psalms come in. The Psalms mean you don't have to conjure spontaneity. The Psalms allow you to pray with conviction and to allow the sincerity of David, the sincerity of Asaph, the sincerity of Solomon, of Moses, of others who are praying in the power of the Spirit to lead you. Let them give you the words. And then, here's the best part, when they give you the words, when you steep yourself in the prayer language of the Psalms in the unspontaneous moments, in the middle situation when you're neither at the peak or at the bottom of the ocean, then at those moments when you are there, 
At those moments when you do find yourself either buried or you find yourself um, overwhelmed with joy, you'll have a language to give your tears. You'll then have a language to give to your celebration, a language to give to your thanksgiving, a language to give to your cries for help, a language to help you in those moments adore God. The words will come, they will be your words because they will be the words the Spirit has given you as you steep yourself in the prayer book of the Bible, spontaneously in the moment. The Psalms help us to pray spontaneously, to, to know what it is to pray, uh, to well up with prayer inside of us. And then finally, the last thing I want to say this morning before we get to the, the sort of the practical points are the Psalms will bring you closer to Jesus. The Psalms will bring you closer to Jesus. These songs are Jesus's songs. These are the prayers that Jesus used throughout his own life, from his boyhood training in the synagogue all the way to his last cry of dereliction when he died on the cross. And in his own words, he used Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I said this the very first week, Jesus quotes the Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. When you try praying the Psalms, here's a challenge for you. Let me encourage you not just to pray the Psalms to Jesus, but also imagine Jesus praying those Psalms himself alongside of you. Try to imagine Jesus with those words hanging from his own lips. With these words, finding fulfillment in his own life, the life that is given and lived for you. Anthony Bloom, who is an archbishop in the Orthodox Church, tells a story that comes from the years of, of civil war in Russia when a small town fell into the hands of the Red Army. Um, that town had been held for a little while by the remnants of the imperial troops who were fighting the Red Army. And a woman in the town found herself with her two small children, four and five years of age, in danger of death because her husband belonged to the imperial camp. One evening, a young woman named Natalie, of her own age, knocked at the door and asked if she was so-and-so, and the woman replied, yes. And Natalie told her, warned her, that she had been discovered and that the troops were coming that night to fetch her and to execute her, to shoot her. And the young woman said, look, you have to escape at once. The mother looked at her kids and said, I can't do that. My, my kids are right here. I can't, I can't get away. And Natalie, who at that, at that point had been nothing more but a physical neighbor to her, Bloom writes, became a neighbor of the gospel. Natalie said, yeah, you can, because I will stay behind, and I will call myself by your name when they come to fetch you. And the mom looked at her and said, but you'll be shot. And Natalie said, yes, but I have no children. So she stayed behind. And Bloom writes this. He says, we can imagine what happens next. We can see the night coming, the night wrapping in, in darkness and gloom and cold and damp, this cottage. We can see there a woman who is waiting for her death to come, and we can remember her Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane. We can imagine the prayers of Christ becoming her own. We can imagine Natalie asking, as Jesus asked, that this cup should pass by her and being met just like Jesus with divine silence. We can imagine her like King David, turning in intention towards those who might have supported her but who are now gone. The disciples of Christ too slept. We can imagine that more than once she prayed that at least her sacrifice would not be in vain, that her 
How long, O Lord, would be met with the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Natalie probably asked herself more than once what would happen to the mother and the children when she was dead. And there was no reply except the word of Christ. No one has greater love than he who lays down his life for his friend. Natalie could have easily denied her false identity at any moment, could have easily opened the door to walk out the woman she knew she actually was, but she did not. She, she died, shot. The mother and children escaped. Bloom tells the story to make a point about Christianity making costly demands on us. But there is another lesson. That lesson is how the songs of Jesus, the words of Jesus, shaped in her and shape in us a life prepared to do the things that Jesus has called us to do. Praying the Psalms will help you feel the joy of being loved by Jesus in his humiliation and in his exaltation, and they will prepare you for a life shaped by the call to deny yourself and to pick up your cross and to follow him. So Chad, where do you begin? Well, you'll see in your, more, uh, your handout this morning, if you'll turn over to the back, I've got really two simple challenges for you, maybe in the week or the next two weeks ahead. The first is the challenge of beginning or adding a time of prayer to your daily schedule. Either beginning, if you don't do it already, or adding a time of prayer to your daily schedule. So in Psalm 119, 164, the psalmist says, seven day, times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Seven times. Those were most likely real scheduled times. In the Benedictine rule, there were eight scheduled times. Okay? The first was vigils. This is like the most, the vigils is like the most serious. All right? Vigils is night prayers when you set an alarm to wake up and to pray in the middle of the night when you should be sleeping. Let's not start there, okay? <laughs> Lauds, right? Lauds was praying at daybreak. You wake up in the morning, heads on the pillow, you realize a new day has come. It's just saying a prayer of consecration. Lord, here's my day. Be with me this day. Prime. Prime were the prayers for beginning, the beginning of work. So what if you... What if you, when you got to the office every morning, took five to ten minutes to pray for the work of your hands that day? Just to pray, to set aside time to commit and to consecrate the work that God has given you to do to him. Terse. Terse was the act of giving thanks and prayer mid-morning. So it's 10.30 in the morning. You've done some emails, you know, you, or you've done nothing that you should have been doing. You know, you've checked things that you shouldn't be checking, and now you need to sort of reconsecrate yourself at work, Right? It's a time to give thanks mid-morning and to rethink about your day. Sext, with a T on the end, okay? S-E-X-T, sext, was the noonday prayer of commitment. It was stopping at lunch and reviewing what's done already and praying for the afternoon ahead. Known is midday afternoon prayer. Vespers is the evening prayer of stillness. And Compline is the going to, the going to sleep prayer of trust. What if you just picked one of those, right? Two to eight minutes, five to 15 minutes this week and kept that. Let me ask and tell you this. If you've never prayed regularly, if you've always struggled with this, let me just encourage you the first step to, 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 uh, to try to take morning prayer more seriously. 
So as soon as you wake up in the morning to consecrate your day to God in prayer, to start there, as you rise in the morning to give that day to him. If you already pray in the morning, let me challenge you to add evening prayer, to frame your day in the morning and in the evening when you lie down and when you rise to God. And if you already do both of those, let me challenge you to do noonday prayer for five minutes, to review your day and to consecrate it once again to God. The idea here is just to stop in those moments just for a moment and to cultivate an awareness of God's presence in your everyday routine. Think of it like this. Prayer times are like a net for catching the hours. They're a net for catching the times that God has given you in your day. That's challenge one. Either begin or add a time of prayer to your day. Second, let me encourage you to come up with a plan for reading the Psalms regularly and not just to read them, but to pray them, okay? You know, um, maybe some of you have heard that there are four different types of prayer. There's adoration, where we adore God in his beauty and majesty. There's confession, where we're before him and confessing our sin. There's prayers of thanksgiving, where we thank God. I mean, we should be doing that a lot this week as we sort of press into that, as we eat, right? And there's supplication. Those are petitions. We ask God for things. Now, prayer can get out of balance, right? We can make prayer only about supplication or only about something else, confession, but it should include all those things. Here's what the Psalms allow you to do. In the Psalms, you'll find all those things happening all the time. If you read the Psalms and pray the Psalms, you'll get a balanced diet of what it looks like to pray to God, right? So how do you do that? Well, just two examples. For example, Psalm 1. You might want to read Psalm 1, and Psalm 1 says, that blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, nor stands in the way of sinners, something like that. I, may, I miss the scoffers and mockers up there. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his, deli- on his law he meditates day and night. So to pray that, you would read it, and then you would say, Lord, help me to be like this man. Help me not to sit in the seat of, of sinners. Help me not to to form deep relationships with the wicked, but help me instead to meditate on your word and to make your word my delight. You just read a line or read a passage or read the whole psalm and you return that to God in prayer in your own words. You guys have heard Psalm 23 probably, right? The most famous psalm that we have in the Psalter. The Lord is my shepherd. How would you turn that into a prayer? Oh Lord, help me to trust you as my shepherd. Help me, help me not to want. Help me to remember that you provide for me, that you make me to lie down in green pastures, that you give me what I need, that you will prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death. You will be with me. What I'm challenging you to do is not just read a psalm. I'm challenging you to pray a psalm, to learn to pray the psalms, right? Um, How do you do that? Where do you start? Well, um, let me just give you a couple resources this morning to to commend you. One is, um, to start, is Tim Keller has a book out called The Songs of Jesus. All right? Very accessible, very short. It has a psalm reading, and then it has a prayer at the end that he helps you to pray. And you'll go through all 150 psalms over the course of a year. So the whole year will take you through. It's dated. It's very easy. I don't think anyone should say, gosh, that's too much for me. It's five minutes, right? The other thing I would 
commend to you is, um, is our, you know, I've said this before, but one of the things you could do in our church's daily prayer guide, and this is the, this is the new one that's coming out for Advent and Christmas, is that we follow the Book of Common Prayer and the Psalm readings every day, which takes you through the Psalms once a month. You go through every Psalm once a month. You may find that that's too much, and that's okay too, but you can just open up to the date and read those Psalms. That's about four or five Psalms a day, depending on the day. So what I commend to you, what I I encourage you to do is just think about how to orient and to integrate the Psalms into your your daily life and not just to read them, but to pray them as well. God wants us to be men of prayer. And listen to me, every day we start over. Every day is a new day to start over. If you struggled yesterday, today's a new day. Tomorrow's a new day. We all start over every day. Let's ask God to help make us into the people he wants us to be to consecrate our days to Jesus because he has consecrated his days to us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for um, our time this morning. We do pray that you would help us to learn to pray. I mean, even the disciples who had followed Jesus when it came to prayer asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. And we pray, Father, that we would have that same attitude, that you would, that we would long for you to teach us how to pray, how to be in your presence, how to adore you, how to be honest before you. Um, Lord, how to pray the spectrum of the reality that we face day in and day out. Would you teach us to pray? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.